Good morning. Uh, it is a joy and a strange thing to be with you in this way. Uh, it, is, it is both things. They don't cancel each other out. I really, really love preaching to actual humans, um, and it is really weird to preach in this room this way. Um, it's, it's, all, it's all that. Um, if you've been tuning in, though, the last several weeks, we have, uh, we've been in a, a short series, a short mini-series that we're actually wrapping up today. We've been calling this series The Priesthood of the Believer, and that terminology is not something that we invented at Midtown. That terminology is something that uh, comes from Scripture, and it is this biblical idea that actually is start to finish, Old Testament to New, New Testament, that the Lord has always intended for his people to be priests to the world. That in the Old Testament, God's people are called a royal or a kingdom of priests. That God would say to them at Mount Sinai, hey, it's my intention for you as my nation, as my people. I want you to be a kingdom of priests to the world. And that thread gets pulled all the way to the New Testament. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago. That Peter says to the church, God's intention for you is that you would be a royal priesthood to the world. And so what is this biblical idea? What does it mean? And why is it important for us now? What we've looked at... Over the last several weeks, we've had this helpful definition to guide our time is that in this, in this season where the church feels very scattered, in this season where parents are trying to homeschool, in this season where jobs are being furloughed and people are working from home and neighbors are maybe more connected or more disconnected, and there's all this, uh, there's all this chaos and there's all this unknown that we would go, hey, the Lord's intention for his people has not changed, the Lord in and out of every season has uh, intended for his people to be priests to the world. And so a definition for that idea, what does it mean that the church is a priesthood? What does it mean that the church is priest to the world? This definition is a helpful definition. We've said it every week, but it's, it's not exhaustive, but it is, it is helpful. Is that a priest is someone who has access to God's special presence and then invites others into that presence. A priest is someone who has access to God's special presence and then invites others into that presence. So we started off the series by looking at Adam and Eve, who were the first priests in the first temple, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Delight. And then we looked at Abraham, kind of the next priest in line who was blessed by the Lord to be a blessing to the world through his family and all who would come from Abraham have that same call. And then we looked at what does it mean that we're, this priesthood is being built into a temple that's meant to shine God's glory to the world and draw the nations in to the beauty and wonder and mercy of God. And then last week we looked at what does it mean that the, the, the curtain has been torn in the temple and now we, with wild abandon, have freedom and access to God's presence to share that with the world. And so we're wrapping up that series today with looking at how the Lord has gifted his priests what does it mean that we are gifted, particularly and especially gifted priests uh, and priestesses, priestesses to the world? What does it mean that we have been given gifts in order to accomplish the mission of having access to God's presence and inviting others into that presence? So we're going to read this very long passage uh, from 1 Corinthians, and, and we'll unpack it. We'll try to kind of pull one thread from it and through it as we look at it. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul writing, and I'm going to read for us. You ready for this? 22 verses. Sorry to bore you with scripture. Okay, you can repent about that later. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but in all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We have all baptized, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of the Lord. So, a lot here. Long passage. But it does have a thread, and it does have kind of one continuous thing, and there's a lot that's said, and Paul, like a good preacher, gives some helpful illustrations that we'll talk a little bit about. But it does have a main point, and here is the main thing that Paul is trying to say in this passage to to the Corinthian church about the gifts that they've been given as priests to the world. Here's the main point. He's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what they're for. He's talking about the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to people and what they're for. So first, what is a gift? What is Paul talking about here? Well, we say this a lot in our society, that person's so gifted or that person hasn't realized the potential of their gifts or they've been gifted with courage or leadership. But plainly put, to to kind of bring this language uh, into some, some common understanding, Gifts are just things that you're good at. Gifts are things that you have strength in, and most of the time, gifts are things that you enjoy. Now, not always, but gifts are typically things that you would look at your life and you would say, I'm pretty good at this, or I enjoy doing this, or I have the gift of, of, of this particular idea or this particular function. You can learn about your gifts through a lot of different ways in our, in our modern society. You can take the Enneagram test, you can take the DISC assessment, you can take the Myers-Briggs there are um, spiritual gift assessments. If you want to go on, online, you can find There's a bunch of different ways to find out how has the Lord gifted you. 
And certainly gifts also come with a counterpart, weakness, and, and there's all that relationship. And I don't really care how you know or how you want to go about deciding or determining or discerning what your gifts might be, but we have all been given gifts from the Lord. But to fully understand this biblical concept, we need to dive into this passage. The word here that is translated gifts here, that's used all throughout this passage, is the Greek word charisma. And that word literally means a gift that is freely given due to favor or kindness. And it refers specifically to the gracious, the gracious giving action of the giver. A charisma, a gift, is just what it sounds like. It's a gift, which means that the recipient of the gift didn't do anything to earn that gift, and the recipient of that gift can't do anything to lose that gift. But no one has gifts that, that are different than yours because they worked for it or they earned it or they had some special outpouring and the Lord decided to, to give them extra gifts. The Lord gives gifts and just like the term gift, it is a display of the Lord's favor and of the Lord's kindness to give gifts to people. It was the kindness of the Lord that made him freely give gifts to people. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? Well, there is a list here, but I want to be very careful because there's lists in lots of places in Scripture. You can go to several other passages, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 here, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, where some lists are given of, of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, what many people do is they try to just combine all the lists listed in Scripture of the gifts and go, here's the comprehensive list of all the gifts the Spirit has ever given. And that's wrong. It's not comprehensive in listing. What Paul does and what Peter does and all these other places is it's comprehensive in category, meaning these are the kinds of gifts that the Lord gives. These are the kinds of, of things that the Lord administers out and gives as gifts, but it's not exhaustive. A more helpful way to think about the giving of gifts that the Spirit gives is found in verse 7, and this, this should help kind of expand our imagination a little bit, but it's also the main point. Verse seven is, is our thesis statement for, for this entire passage. Verse seven says this. Now to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Gifts, according to Paul here, are each a manifestation of the Spirit. What does it mean to manifest something? It means to display something. It means to reveal something. It means to show something that was formerly hidden. God is Spirit, the Bible says. And what we were just told by, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is that he's given gifts to people to display what was hidden. Because you can't see a Spirit but the manifestation of the Spirit, given through gifts, shows, reveals, um, helps make concrete what is hidden. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit demonstrate, they manifest the Spirit. So Paul just said that the gifts are meant to display the Trinitarian Godhead. God gives gifts to people that are meant to display him, to reveal him, to make him known. So whatever thing about you, whatever strength about you, whatever beauty about you that serves as an instrument of the Spirit, that reveals, that manifests the Spirit, that embodies the Spirit, is a spiritual gift. Whatever thing about you that is an expression of who the Lord is, is a gift. 
So the analogy that got thrown out this week in pastor's meeting is like, okay, so it's kind of like, have you ever been to the Home Depot paint wall and you see like all the different array of colors that are just like slightly different and there's almost, there's almost like an infinite amount of these paint colors, which had a lot of fun this week Googling funny paint names because, right, we all know that like, who's coming up with these? So I'm gonna read you a few of my favorite. <laughs> Julie's Dream. Who's Julie and what did she dream about? I got a lot of questions. Broccoli brown. Broccoli's not brown. I guess if you roast it, but anyway, broccoli brown. Uh, Sulking room pink. (laughs) Sounds like a really fun room. Uh, Mayonnaise. Great. Nacho cheese. Great. Churlish green. (laughs) I had to look up what churlish means. It means green with an attitude. Um, Lauren's surprise. Again, not sure who Lauren is or what the surprise is. Uh, this one was hilarious. This one, this one was funny. Anonymous. <laughs> when you think about anonymous people, what color comes to mind? Um, and this was my favorite. And I have so many questions about who came up with this name. Dead Salmon. <laughs> Which I'm sitting here going, what color is a dead salmon as opposed to a live salmon, and who wants a salmon-colored anything? Uh, anyway, sorry. So, in all seriousness, though, this, this, this display, this, this manifestation of all the possible colors, that literally even just, like, it starts with this white base, and then they throw in different dyes, and, 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 and then they make just these slight variations. You can begin to imagine that the paint wall, I mean, it, it keeps growing, right? There continues to be more, more displays of new colors it's nearly infinite. There's almost no limit to the numbers of paint colors possible to be displayed. They're all unique. And that image applied to verse 7 right here, that each gift is a manifestation of the Spirit, should explode our imaginations with what it means to be gifted by the Lord. Gifts are meant to be a reflection of the beauty of the glory of God. Do you know how beautiful God is? He is beauty. Do you know how many manifestations there can be of infinite beauty? To be a reflection, to be a manifestation that displays infinite beauty, it is literally infinite in its variation and its breadth of how the Lord can give people. Now certainly there, there are some base similarities, but I don't know how he's gifted you, but I know, I know it's probably more wonderful than you've let yourself imagine it to be. Because it's this wide array, it's this beautiful display that the gifts given are meant to manifest or meant to display who the Lord is to make his beauty known. And please know this idea, this, this principle about the relationship between gifts and their giver, we, we know this. This, this is not something that Paul kind of just plucked out of thin air. This, this, is, this is this idea that we know on a human experience level, gifts are always tied to the giver of the gift. They always reveal something about the giver of the gift. And when I give my kids a gift for Christmas, it shows them, and, and it also shows all who see it, what kind of giver there was there. If I give my kids something extravagant, it shows the extravagance of the giver. If I give my kids socks for Christmas, it shows how much I hate them, right? It's, it, there's, there's, you, can always make, you can always make a declaration about the giver when you see the gift. You can always know more about the giver when you see the gifts that they give. And so for the Lord to have this infinite display of all the ways he's wired you and all the ways he's given you strengths and all the things he's given you to enjoy and and, and then to understand, that's meant to show something. That's meant to manifest something. That's meant to display something. It's this infinite display of the beauty of the Lord. 
The gift is always an expression of the giver. The gift always tells us something about the giver. So why did he give it? Why does he give gifts? If that, if that's, so it's a manifestation of the Spirit. What's the purpose of manifesting anyway? Like, why does the Lord want to be made manifest? Why, what's, what's the Lord's goal? If gifts are given to manifest the Lord and his beauty to the world, why does he give gifts to be manifest? What's the point of being revealed to the world? What's the Lord's goal in all this? Well, again, our thesis statement, we're told that in verse 7 as well. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What does that mean? The gifts the Spirit gives to believers to display the beauty of the Godhead to the world are for the common good. And this is, this, this is where the story of God and his people and the story of God longing for his people to understand their, their, their priestliness and that they've been given gifts as priests to manifest his beauty to the world for the common good. This is where this storyline gets really, really enticing. That to use your gifts to manifest the Lord to the world is not only meant to show the world who he is, it's meant for the good of the world. Now, this has been the story from the beginning. We looked at this in week one of this series, that Adam and Eve, first priests in the first temple, the Garden of Eden, they were mandated by God to take the beauty and the joy and the delight that they were experiencing and to be fruitful and multiply, to share this, to bring as many people into this joy project as they possibly could, and they failed. But then God doesn't give up, and God keeps pursuing his people, and he comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you, and this blessing is not just meant for you and your people. It's meant for the world, because I'm trying to share my blessing with the world, and I'm going to do it through this family. And then we looked at it with the temple a few weeks ago, too, that we would say the temple was built, and now we are being built as the temple, and part of the temple's being built was that the world would know, look at the majesty and the mercy of that God. That this has always been the Lord's intention that God would do something in and through and for his people for the world. That the common good, the, the common beauty, the common flourishing of the world has always been the end goal of the Lord creating the world to begin with. It's for the good of your neighborhood. It's for the good of the neighborhood across town that you never go to. It's for the good of the restaurant you love. It's for the good of the music venue that you hope doesn't close. It's for the good of the city of Nashville. It's for the good and the flourishing and the healing and the mending of those that the system has worked against and, and the system has made those that were disadvantaged by the system. It's meant to heal that. It's meant for the good of our judicial system. It's meant for the good of our prison system. The manifestation of the Lord in you, how he's gifted you, is for the good of the world. So how he has uniquely gifted you, please understand, is for that end. That is the reason why he's gifted you, is to manifest himself into the world, because as he is manifest, the world gets healed. And if you never participate with that, it's one thing to know how you're gifted and know where your weaknesses are. It's one thing to know how you're wired and the strengths you have and the things you're good at. But if you never take that and you never participate with this end, the common good, Joy will always feel elusive. Like if you don't connect your giftedness 
to the master plan of the master gardener who has always looked at spreading his joy to the world and bringing healing to what sin has vandalized in the world, if you don't know how to connect your strengths with the kingdom of God, then you will never enjoy your gifts truly. Because they were meant to be a manifestation of the Spirit for the good of the world. Life will feel like a mist that is just slipping by because you can't quite connect gosh, why don't I feel like this is, this is, there's got to be more than this, right? There's got to be, and it's, the answer is usually yes, because you were given gifts for a purpose, to manifest the beauty of the Lord for the common good. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like, but it does tell us that the gifts we've been given have a purpose, and so we're meant in community, we're meant in, in our own wrestling, in our own maturing. We're meant to try to discern, okay, I've been gifted this way. I display the beauty of the Lord in this unique way, and the Lord's given me these gifts. How would you have me use those? What would you have me do with that? And we need this community. We, we need a community to help us see, have you been given gifts in this way? And maybe the gift you've been given is you need to go make a bunch of friggin' money, and you need to know that that money is not yours, and it needs to be used for the good of the kingdom. Or maybe the gift you've been given is the gift of being a mom and raising up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and raising them up with all of the pain of that and all of the loneliness of that and all the exhaustion of that. And you know, yeah, but I've been given a gift to be a nurturing mother, and I'm doing this for the common good, doing this for the good of my neighbors and my neighborhood. I don't know what it is, but I know that this, 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 this thing that the Lord is doing, he's given, and he says it so often throughout here, you, you are one part of the body, but if you don't understand your connection to the body, if you don't have a relationship with a local body, then you will remain in isolation. You won't really actually know where your gift and what your function is. This royal priesthood, we are to work in unity with our gifts, with the body of Christ for the good of the world. So, if that's the outcome, or if that's the intended outcome, if that's the goal, you can be assured that there will be resistance to that. <laughs> Paul lays it out here for us very, very clearly. He says, hey, verse seven, you've been given gifts to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit, so that you can show the world how beautiful the Lord is for the common good. And then he immediately goes into, and let me tell you why that's gonna be really hard. Because verse eight through 26, the rest of the section, he's essentially laying out where the trouble will play itself out. Like, you, you can know if this is the good, if this is the beauty, if this is where this whole thing is headed, let me tell you how it's going to be worked against. He starts off by saying, now to each one is given. To one he gives this, to one he gives this, to one he gives this, to one. And all these gifts are distributed out to the people. And then he begins to describe the jealousy and the pride that always ensues when people are in community together. He describes the jealousy and the pride that happens when people begin comparing themselves to those around them. The comparison, Paul would say, has two forms. You know, he, he lays them both out. But comparison is the reason why this is hard. He gives the body metaphor. He says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Paul's going, and he gives a couple different iterations of that. That if one part of the body says that, well, I'm just this part of the body, I'm not that part of the body, I guess I don't belong in the body, Paul will say that will destroy the, the working towards the common good. How many times 
have you thought to yourself that you are less than valuable in the world you live in because you don't have strengths that other people have? I do it almost every week. Yeah, sure, the Lord's given me some gifts, and I'm thankful for some of those gifts, depending on the day. But it's not the gifts that I wish I had, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like the old, the old Enneagram joke, uh, no one likes their own number. <laughs> like, no one loves being the number that they are. No, no one actually receives the gifts and the strengths of being wired a certain way and is super thankful, like, man, I, I'm totally content with the, with the way that the Lord has gifted me. Because if I had other gifts, I would be a better leader. If I had other gifts, I would be a better father. If I had other gifts, I would be better at the things that I know that I'm weak in. <laughs> Which essentially when we say that, what we're saying when we begin comparing is, I want no weaknesses. I want to be good at everything. <laughs> I, I, it's, 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 it's the same comical comparison that Paul would say here. Can you imagine if a whole body made of, made of feet? <laughs> like that, I, I want to be the whole body. I don't, I don't want to just be a part of the body. I want to be the whole body on my own. And slowly but surely, I can start to think that the way that the Spirit is manifesting His beauty in and through me is not as important, is not as valuable, and is not as critical as the way that He is manifesting Himself through others. I do this all the time. I see something that other people have and they're really good at, and I meet this comparison thing. It's, it's so natural. That's why Paul can write about it for like 20 verses, because he knows this is the natural thing that people do when you get close with other people. You will start comparing your strengths with other people. And I think that Paul would say here, because he says in other places, the thing, the thing that you need in that is to just be really okay embracing your limits. Like the humility it would take to say, I'm not good at that, and that's okay. I'm not good at that thing that that person's great at and is beautiful in, and that's okay. To embrace our limits with humility. You are not the entire body. You are part of the body. But then the other thing that comparison can lead to is this kind of like self-deprecating comparison of jealousy. I wish I had those gifts. The other thing that comparison can lead to is pride. He says that in, in kind of the second half of this, of this list. The opposite condition, which I do almost every week as well too, is that I look at other people's gifts and I go, thankful I don't have those gifts. Like, those gifts are annoying. Those gifts are like, I mean, I'm sure they're fine, but glad the Lord didn't wire me that way. We look down on others, and we can begin to subtly think those people don't display the beauty of the Lord as much as we do. This comes out a lot um, in, in community, in close relationships. The closer you get to people and comparison begins, you start to get jealous of them or you start to look down on them. The, do you view your parents as being wonderfully and uniquely gifted to display the beauty of the Lord to the world and you're thankful for that? Do you view your spouse or your significant other, do you view them and, and you thank the Lord for the way that he's wired them and the gifts he's given them, and you think, I, the body would not be complete if that part wasn't in it too. Comparison plays out in two ways. I don't like my gifts, or I don't like your gifts. And I can do that, I can do that same dance, I can do both sides of that coin in the same day. Comparison always leads to a lack of unity, and comparison never leads to the common good. 
And unless you and I are working for the common good, which requires unity and comparison cannot be a part of that, unless you and I are working towards the common good, we will never be content. But listen to how he describes this remedy for comparison. He says it a couple different times. He says it in verse 11, and he says it in verse 18. We're going to look at verse 11. He, he describes this remedy for comparison, and it stings. It, it stings badly. He starts off by saying, now to some he's given this gift, and to some he's given this gift, and they're all for a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and to some he's given this, and to some he's given this. And listen to how he wraps that up in verse 11. He said, all of these, all these displays, all these manifestations of the Spirit are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The only way for us to put comparison to bed is if we lean into verse 11. The Spirit distributes gifts to each one just as he determines. Meaning, the gifts that you have and the gift that your significant other has and the gifts that your parents have and the gifts that your children have are the ones that he wanted you and them to have. So if you don't like them, if you don't like the ones that you've been given, or you don't like the ones that they've been given, you at least need to know who you're mad at. That if you don't want the gifts you have, you have a problem with the giver that gave them to you. If you don't like the gifts that your family has, you have a problem with the giver that gave them to them. Because the Spirit distributes them as he wills, just as he determines. Romans 12 says it this way. This is another section on the gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12 says, The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Another way that other translations translate that word irrevocable, the gifts of the Lord are without regret. Meaning the Lord issues gifts and he does not take them back and he doesn't feel bad about them. The Lord is not sitting in heaven after he displays and administers his gifts to people and he says, God, I think I really messed that one up. He doesn't regret giving the gifts he's given. So if he doesn't regret the gifts he's given you or given people around you, why should you regret them? And if the gifts are always an expression of the giver, and if he's given them out just as he, fe- as he sees fit and he doesn't feel remorse for it, and the gifts he's given you have a purpose to be used to display the beauty of God for the common good, maybe... Maybe what we all need to do is just ask the giver to show us our strengths, to show us our limits, and to be thankful for them, and to practice confidence in them. That we would actually step into our gifts and say, you know what? The Lord gave me these gifts, and the royal king gave me, one of his priests, these gifts to be a display of him for the common good, and I don't have to apologize for them. I also don't have to be afraid of them, and I don't have to be disgusted by them. The gifts we have are no mistake. They're the ones the maker decided he wanted us to have in order to show his beauty to the world. So what what would have to happen for us to to have have a soft heart? What would have to happen for us to, to have a malleable soul that would look at the Lord and say, not my will but yours, not my choice of gifts but yours, how, how would we actually like, stop comparing the gifts that we have and don't have? What would soften us enough in order to, us, to help us receive the gifts we have as priests to the world? And then not only receive them, but step into them in their full display for the common good. 
But we won't understand how to receive the gifts we've been given until we learn how to continually receive the first gift we've been given. Remember our word charisma, this word that's all throughout this passage. I mean, Paul is just repeating this word over and over and over again, charisma. It's something that is freely given on account of favor or kindness. And Paul uses this word many times in the New Testament, especially when talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul also uses this word when talking about something else. Paul uses the same word when talking about something else that is freely given on account of favor and kindness. Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death, but the charisma, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gives gifts that are undeserving and are given on account of favor, but the main gift, the primary gift, the first gift he's given you was Jesus. And it was freely given to you without earning or deserving, which means you can't lose it. He's given you the gift, the charisma of Jesus, and, he, and the gifts of God are irrevocable and without regret. He's decided to give you Jesus, and he will never pull Jesus away from you. But please also remember this word uh, charisma, this, this gift, uh, this study in the gifts of, uh, of God. Please also remember our understanding briefly on not only are gifts freely given and they're, with, they're irrevocable and they're given by a gracious giver, gifts always reveal the giver. Gifts always show you the heart of the giver. So yes, is Jesus this inexpressible gift? Is, G- is the gift of Jesus and his grace this thing that we could never earn or deserve? Yes. Is the gift of Jesus this thing that we desperately needed? Yes. Is the gift of Jesus something that was given on account of God's favor and kindness? Yes. But do not miss the fact that the gift always reveals the giver. Try to imagine for a moment the gift of Jesus and what that shows you about the giver. What does the gift of Jesus show you about your father? Do you know what kind of father you have? Do you know the extravagance of your father? Do you know that he's freely given you Jesus and what that says about him? Do you know what that says about his heart towards you? Do you know how he feels about you that he would give you Jesus? Do you know that when you come to him, do you know who you're coming to? The gift of Jesus is, 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 is a gift, and it should be freely received and freely enjoyed. But do not miss the fact that gifts also show you something about the giver. The gift of Jesus shows you something about your father. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking and teaching to the public, and he, and he says, he's talking about gifts. And he says, which of you fathers, if your child asked you for bread, would give him a stone? Which of you fathers would, would be such a bad gift giver? And he says, and if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your father in heaven? Meaning, this principle, this idea that gifts always show you something about the father, and even evil, gifts always show you something about the giver, and even evil people know how to give good gifts. Even evil people know that this, this is a joyful thing, that it's better to give than to receive, and I want you to know something about me. Like when I give my kids gifts, I, I want them to enjoy the gift. I want them to know me, though. I want them to know how deeply I love them, that I would give them that gift. I want them to experience me in the gift. 
your father is so extravagant. He's so boundlessly merciful. And the gifts of the Lord are so irrevocable that they are given without regret. Let me, let me put it so plainly. Your father has never regretted giving you Jesus. Even though you haven't enjoyed Jesus, used Jesus, been with Jesus, prayed to Jesus, even though you haven't experienced the gift he's given you to its fullest extent, your father has never regretted giving you Jesus. Because the gifts of God are without regret. He has not for once thought to himself after he gave you Jesus, not sure I should have done that. Did you see how they handled it? Did you see how ungrateful they were for it? Do you see what a disappointment they've become even after I gave them the gift? Your father has not once regretted giving Jesus to you. Will you see your father that way? Will you receive him that way? And trust me, when you know the father that way, when you know that the gifts the father gives are without regret, and you know the irrevocable gift of Jesus, guess what you and I might begin to do with the gifts we've been given by him? The secondary gifts. Maybe we would stop comparing ourselves. Maybe we would stop saying, I wish I had other gifts. Maybe we would stop saying, I wish they had other gifts. Maybe we would say, the spirit that gives them, gives them however he pleases, and I'm thankful for that. Maybe we would stop disdaining the gifts he's given us to display his beauty to the world. And maybe, just maybe, Midtown would become a place that is known because we work for the common good. This neighborhood and this city, if Midtown shut down tomorrow, the city would say, man, Nashville is hurting now in a way that it wasn't when Midtown was here. Because we're a people that are thankful for the gifts we've been given and all the, and all the nuances of that to display the beauty of the infinitely beautiful one to the world for the common good. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we need a lesson in humility and gratitude, but really we need an encounter with you. That you are the irrevocable gift of our Father and that you would disarm us in such a way that we would open our hands and open our hearts to receive the ways that you've wired us, that you've gifted us, and even the weaknesses that come with that, that we would be thankful for the gifts we've been given. We love you, Jesus. Um, Explode our affections for you by giving us a fresh encounter with you, we pray this morning. In your name, amen.